The Voyage of the Page Turner, Episode 7, Race Forever. Well, well. Hello, Voyager. Welcome to Voyage of the Page Turner, the choose-your-own page-turning podcast. Who am I? I'm Colin Lego. What is this? Well, this is a podcast where me and a special guest each week review and go through one of the 1980s multiple-choice adventure books, and we review it by going through the actual book, having some fun, and also having a touch of 1980s nostalgia. And in the words of celebrity judge Len Goodman, as he finally loses it and goes on a killing spree, we are in episode seven! (laughs) If you're not in the UK, you won't know who Len Goodman is. All you need to know, he was a judge on a dancing show, and his catchphrase, weirdly, became seven, because that's all he gave the contestants. Weird. I'd like to start this particular episode with a quote from musician John Kay. And that quote is, Get your motor running, head out on the highway, looking for adventure in whatever comes our way. Oh yeah, in the late 60s, early 70s, you all thought John Kay was singing about going out on his motorbike. No, he was actually singing about this. Book 7, Race Forever. Yeah, so this episode is all about racing cars. I know nothing about racing cars or Formula One, so that's good. So knowing that this seventh book, Race Forever, was going to involve some cars, last week I put myself out on Facebook and Twitter and asked for your car stories, your family car stories, maybe the first car you had, cars that you remember when you were a kid that your family drove. And on Facebook, you can find us by looking for Voyage of the Page Turner or at Page Turner Show on Facebook. The first person to get in touch was Joanne Spargo, forder and she says in capital lock letters she just says that's a nissan cherry as if she's shouting her first family car at me uh, she goes on to say colin it had circular door handles i mean that's very 80s she also says not sure if this was the same vehicle that the three of us kids projectile vomited all over a portable cassette player on the way back from butlins north wales <laughs> oh yeah sick filled car journeys when you were a kid what a lovely memory for the 1980s there thanks joanne also on facebook my auntie barbara oh yeah barbara evans she gets in touch and says we had a bull-nosed morris cowley it looked a bit like an antique rolls royce (laughs) posh pants she says the three of us children had fold out wooden chairs to sit in the back locally it was good for an antique car to go up reigate hill people were on the bridge cheering us on i mean that that sounds like something from the crown wow waving on royalty thanks for that auntie barb Also on Facebook, Esther Kelly gets in touch. Hello, Esther. She says, We had a white Volvo estate, affectionately known as the White Steed. (laughs) This sounds like one of the titles from this book series. Um, She goes on to say, It was so old that my dad had to secure one of the doors shut with lashing straps and cable ties. (laughs) I mean... Anything that can't be fixed with a cable tie isn't worth fixing. She says, I remember being so hideously embarrassed by it, I'd get him to drop me off way before the school car park in the hopes that nobody would see us. I mean, that's ultra embarrassment. She finally says, We used to drive from Yorkshire to Spain in it regularly with camping gear so you couldn't see out the back. Now, you're taking a car that you've said is kept together by cable ties across Europe. I mean, that is something... Uh, Anyway, I'm glad you survived and came back from Spain. Oh, I'd love to have seen the white steed. It sounds like an absolute beast. Thanks for that, Esther. 
Over on Twitter, at Pace Turner Show, thanks for asking, Ian Bowden got in touch with his car story. He says, my first road trip with friends. We got caught in thick fog. Ooh, a friend asked what that light was ahead. I said it was a pelican crossing. He means like a, not the animal, he means like a traffic island. Um, he says, my friend said it was moving. I said, well, it's a moving pelican crossing. It wasn't, it was a lorry and I was on the wrong side of the road. Oh my gosh, that story could have ended very differently. I'm glad you're still with us, Ian. Thanks for that. Maybe read up your highway code eh? pelican crossings do not move also david pascoe got in touch thanks david he says circa 1982 my father ran three vehicles he was a builder so he had a white renault van for small jobs he also had a flatbed truck for when he was bricklaying cementing etc age six we drove the truck from Falmouth in Cornwall to Hertfordshire because we were taking some furniture up for relatives. Unlike the family car, Dad, Mum and I were all sat next to each other, me in the middle, with no seatbelt on. (laughs) I mean, different times, different times. He finally says, My dad actually let me sit on his lap whilst he was driving on the M4 motorway and he let me hold the steering wheel as well. He would take his hands ever so slightly off the wheel too. Not particularly memorable, but I know how utterly unthinkable this is on a motorway now. Well, it (laughs) It was a bit unthinkable back in the 1980s. But wow, that is amazing. A six-year-old driving a truck up the M4 motorway in 1982. Amazing story. Thanks for that, David. The final message I'm going to mention on Twitter was from Wayward Masquerade. Thanks for getting in touch, Wayward Masquerade. And this isn't really a car journey story. This is more what they were able to do with cars. Very interesting skills. Wayward Masquerade says, Not my first car, or even my car. More about my very limited ability to break into cars. They say, because I managed to lock myself out of my car on a regular basis, I had to learn how to break in. And that includes into cars that don't have door locks you can easily hook, loop into, said like a true criminal. They say, I was never really that good at it, but surprisingly, few people around me knew how to break in at all, so it surprised a lot of people that I could do it. Then Wayward Masquerade goes on to say the vehicles that they've broken into and the ways they've broken in, which is a true delight. Here we go. A partner's flatmate's car with a pair of pliers and a length of wire, (laughs) sounding quite MacGyver at this point, Um, an old ute in the middle of nowhere whilst on a unicycle tour. (laughs) Are you going around the outback on a unicycle wayward masquerade that sounds amazing he broke into that with a shovel a length of phone cable and a coat hanger (laughs) this is true a team territory isn't it lock them in a shed what can they make with a shovel a length of phone cable and a coat hanger brilliant and finally a trade van (laughs) that he broke into with a bucket handle and a pair of pliers (laughs) This is amazing. Finally, Wayward Masquerade says, I would like to note that all of these were at the request of the owners or the drivers of the vehicle. Yeah, he's not going around on a weird crime spree, breaking into vehicles in weird ways. I I do love that list, though, of things that you've broken into cars with. It's amazing, an eclectic mix. It's like, yeah, four Capri, broken with a sponge cake, a Barbie doll and a wooden spoon. Two seconds flat. Well, thanks for that, Wayward Masquerade. Thanks for everyone for getting in touch. You can do that, obviously, at Page Turner Show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Well, let's hope in this story, Race Forever, we don't get locked out of our own car. That'll be a rubbish choice to make. Do you use the wooden spoon or do you use the phone cable? I don't think anything like that's going to happen. What I will say, though, about this story is this 
episode has one of the best endings we've had on Voyage of the Page Turner. I'm, I'm not saying it's a successful ending for my Voyager. Maybe it is. But let me make you aware that there is one way to finish the race successfully and many, many ways to die. <laughs> so you can probably work out how it's going to go for my Voyager. But the actual ending is a spectacular one. So do stay tuned for that. And I had a lovely time recording this with my special guest today. So let's see how they do and if they can race forever in this episode 7 of Voyage of the Page Turner. Chris Oxenbury is a stand-up comedian and graphic artist who has worked with many gaming companies to create various characters and new gaming worlds for them to inhabit. A fan of open world games, both as a creator and player, Chris clearly knows when to make a good decision to keep a character alive. But will he be on form today? Oxy, you Hello. are the Voyager. The Voyager for book number seven. How do you feel about it? it I'm excited and I feel very nostalgic about it because I, I, I read had some of these books when I was younger. Mm. What it was, I didn't buy it. Oh. I got it for free. Oh, like, what I did craftily... Do you remember the, those racist skinhead uh, Weetabix things? That, do you remember them back in the, the day? The cartoon the, racist Weetabix, yes I do. Yeah, yeah, like the skinheads. Yeah, yeah the skinhead yeah. ones. Right. They, they yeah. weren't really racist, but they looked quite scary, didn't they? They did. they had like braces and that. Yeah. And, uh, they used to have these cartoon characters, and they basically uh, gave away uh, those books mm. for free. Mm. Well, you had to eat lots of Weetabix and stuff, so I, I'm sure I ate about like 12 boxes. Not in one sitting, because that would be just weird. That would be awful, and yeah. A bit greedy. Oh, too much fibre. And uh, so... <laughs> No wonder those Weetabix looked angry. They constantly had bad <laughs> yeah. tummies. Yeah. yeah. So I basically uh, sent them off to Weetabix, and they sent me that book back. And uh, nice. I remember taking it into school. I think it was it before the days of Firetop Mountain, that, or was it around about the same around time? Around about the same time, yes. Yeah. Firetop Mountain was very complex, wasn't it? Because you had to roll dice, and where I, I think these books are quite simple, aren't they? They, they are. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no, no dice involved. There's no dice, there's no gameplay like that. It's just no. now and again you have to make a choice. Out of two choices, you have to take the mm. route you think. So it's a simpler format, but yeah. I must admit, reading them as an adult, they, they're meant for 8 to 10-year-olds, but yeah. they often have a horrific death. Really? Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I remember taking them into school and everybody being fascinated with them. Mm. I remember when I was younger, I uh, Smith's Crisps oh, yeah. doing a thing. You could collect, I don't know how many packets, like empty packets of Smith's. I think probably like 3,000. And you could get a BMX. No way. It'd like, break because you were so fat. Because <laughs> of all the crisps. <laughs> <laughs> you get, get on the bike and it'd just topple over. Do you know what? I, I I always wanted one of those electric. Do you remember the electric BMX? It was, I don't know what it was called. Oh, oh we're talking eighty. It was the eighties. Yeah, it was like yeah. a BMX, but I'm sure it had a radio on there and an electric horn oh, and stuff like that. Oh, oh it's like it's like a Sinclair C5 <laughs> of bikes. Of, of bikes. Yeah. Growing up, I grew up in the countryside, so adventures for me were sitting in tree houses, making camps in hedges, um, being in fields. You grew up in the Midlands, didn't you? Yeah, I grew up in the Midlands, but we did have some uh, grassy areas and woods and stuff like okay. that. Okay. And I remember going into like uh, like a woods, 
mm. wood, wood, woodland area sort of thing, and uh, pretending it was like Endor. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Pretending it was like Endor and there's like Ewoks and stuff like that, and playing Star Wars and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. And uh, I remember once uh, Andy had had his shorts on and his his leg got stuck on a thorn, like mm. you know, like on a rope. Like, I don't. Like, was a thorn was stuck in his leg. Oh yeah, okay. And it was like it was like. <sighs> and I remember like picking up a stick from the floor and going to him, Andy, bite on this. It's <laughs> 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 something you'd see in Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah. I'd watched it on. Uh, I'd probably seen Tarzan do it or something like that, or like a cowboy removing a bullet from his chest or something wow. like that. I said, "Mate, bite on this." And he bit on it, and I just ripped it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining that both of you, after that, rip both your shirts off, yeah. put some mud on your cheeks, oh, and a proper commando. Goodness. Yeah, oh, it was such good times though. Yeah, such a simpler time. And ropees as well. Did you do ropees? Uh, now I don't know what that is. I'm going to assume it's like a swing rope off a tree or something. Yeah, yeah. I okay. don't know what, what, did you, what did you call it by you? What did you call oh, that? probably just a rope swing. A rope <laughs> very swing. literal in Cornwall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a rope with a stick tied to the bottom of it. Yeah. yeah. So we used to do those. Uh, they oh, were nice. good fun. Terrible. My sister used to say to me, used to get. Have you got older siblings? Yes, I do. Yeah, I've got. Do they used to send you down to the shops in the eighties and get you to run down the shop and stuff? Yeah, or the post office. The post office. Yeah, yeah, my local post office. Yeah, I was sent down there all the time, like some kind of slave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to get sent down the, the shop to get like a copy of Jackie or Smash Hits, and a packet of bonbons and stuff. Yeah. And my sister used. To, there used to be the. We had one shop that which was really close, and then we had another shop which was about a five minute walk mm. and sometimes I'd be lazy and go to the one that was the closest but the one that was closest was like really uh, unhygienic it seemed it seemed quite a dirty sort of like shop there'd be like onions on the floor and, and uh, to deter me to go in there <laughs> by going there my sister used to go do you know what they do with those Wurzel gum lollies I'd be like what they stick them up their bums I'd be like oh no I'm not going there but then, in a, looking back, I'm thinking, what? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Are you going to that wow. shop down the road? No, I'm not going there. They're they're um, Wurzel gum lollies are a bit stinky. <laughs> that is ridiculous. It's a, and they used to, they used to count me as well. They used to um, time me so to to make me like oh, I'm gonna beat the time and stuff like that. So yeah. I used to run back and forth really quick. Or I never used to beat a hundred. Okay. Never, I can never beat a hundred. <clears throat> like I'd run in like my sister would be like a uh, hundred, right? And then the one day I snuck in, and my sister's just there reading a magazine and flipping. And then as soon as she heard me, she's like ninety nine hundred. They had you sorted, Oxy. They had oh, you wrapped God. around their little finger. Definitely. Well, I tell you what, that was, uh, I love a bit of reminiscence. And th this is what these books are, basically, because they throw mm. you right back to the 80s. Um, and I'm a bit worried about this book because the, the 80s was a different time, as we know. Yeah. And these books were written back then. And this book, Race Forever, is set in Africa. Oh, okay. So it could be Race well, races forever. I, yeah, I, listen, if anyone is listening and is offended by any of this, just remember that we're in 1983 and times were different. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. Race forever. Don't get confused with race for life, which is the cancer research thing every year. Um, different story. I don't know why I started giggling about that. <laughs> 
All right. Um, Facts in the back of the book, Oxy, before we start. These are some statistics for Race Forever. The endings where you win a race, there's just one opportunity to do that. Okay? Okay. Out of the 33 possible endings, you're only going to win the race once. Um, Completions of the road race, uh, seven times you can actually complete the road race. Tyres punctured, four tyres are punctured at different points in the book. And charging by jungle animals, three of those. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you've got to watch out for these riders. Well, we've got AA cover. <laughs> Who knows? Do you A phone AA? Uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. Right, let's venture into book seven of Voyage of the Page Turner. Episode seven. Grace Forever. You unexpectedly find yourself the lead driver of an international road rally in Nairobi, Kenya. This is a big deal, the kind of opportunity for which you've been training your entire life. Two races, one for speed and the other for skill, await you. You can choose your car and you can choose your course, but you can't choose whom you're up against or what you'll encounter in the wilderness. Flash floods, enraged rhinos and busted axles will fall you at every turn in the road. And remember, finishing the race does not always mean you've won. Well, first thing, Oxy, that's quite philosophical, isn't it? Finishing a race doesn't actually mean you might have won. Yeah. It's quite philosophical. It is, isn't it? I, I like the, you happen to find yourself in a race. I'm sure I would have done something to get there. You like Lewis Hamilton won. just didn't turn up. I'm like, hey, hey lads, can I have a go? No, I don't know. I, 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 that's the bizarre thing. Yeah. It's like, I'm just sitting at home, and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Nairobi. <laughs> Yeah, you unexpectedly find yourself. It does say you've been training for a long time, so, I mean, you would know you're going, surely. Yeah, but but to be unexpectedly in the race, I'm sure you'd expect it, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Because you would have had to travel. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You're not drugged Where are we like going? Mi- <laughs> Maybe you're drugged like Mr. T before he yeah. goes on a plane. Yeah. I ain't, I ain't getting on no race. <laughs> Here, have a glass of milk. Oh, oh, thank you. So weird, the A-Team. I loved it. Okay, well, we know you're a racing driver. We know you've been training your whole life, and you're unexpectedly in Nairobi. Here we go, page one. You've been almost too nervous to look out the plane window at the African countryside below. The smiling flight attendant leaning over you to check your seatbelt jolts you back to reality. We're approaching the airport in Nairobi now. <laughs> where where are they from? Are they from Backward World? <laughs> We're approaching the airport in Nairobi now. Not sure where they're from. You look out the window. Now you can see the large modern city below. The gentle rolling terrain is unlike the Arizona ranch countryside where you grew up. You're from Arizona. Oh, okay. Brilliant. You remember the letter that brought you here. Congratulations, you have been selected to compete in a series of African road rallies designed to test both skill of the drivers and the ruggedness of the cars. Well, you weren't sure you could handle a race like this, but your dad poo-pooed that attitude. Did that really say poo-poo? It does say poo-poo. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's quite... I bet there's some eight-year-old kids in the 80s reading that giggling because the word poo-pooed's in there. Poo-pooed. Your dad poo-pooed. Yeah. yeah, and they'd like be passing it around. Hey, Dave, look at this. It's got poo pooed. word. And here's your dad speaking. He's from obviously Arizona as well. <laughs> of course you can do it, your dad said. 
I taught you everything I know. I don't know where he's from. <laughs> it's turned Irish. Yeah, I did a little bit. Um, and he knows a lot. He and his brother were competitors in the races in the Italian Ferrari and the Le Mans. Oh. As soon as you could see over the steering wheel of the Jeep, your father began teaching you about cars and driving. The hours you spent in Jeeps, out in the ranch and in fast cars on the track with your dad have paid off. You wished your dad were here, but he couldn't come. Some last-minute business forced him to cancel his plane reservation. Oh, that's a shame. You were going to be... Oh, he's a shit... I think he's a shit dad. Yeah, this is what? a really big... This is a big yeah. deal to his, me, his son. Mm. And he's just, oh... yeah. Have you have you listened to Cats in the Cradle? <laughs> well, have you heard that song? Yeah, that's you, true. Yeah, yeah. this is going to happen. Yeah. He'll be, like, be older and he'll be like, son, come watch me race. And he'll be like, dad, I'm busy with my kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> So yeah, I'm not too. I'm not too. I'm not impressed with his dad. My no, dad. no, I'm not either. Well, now you said it, I wasn't. Mm. Really. At the competition headquarters, a large banner proclaiming the first African dual road race flaps slowly in the light breeze. People standing in clumps around a long table are talking excitedly. They are the drivers and navigators, the mechanics, and the representatives of the company sponsoring the race. You sign in at the competition desk. Welcome. Here is your copy of the rules and regulations. I'm Michael, race chairman. He sounds like my dad. Yeah, he does a little bit, doesn't he? Maybe <laughs> yeah. there's a twist. He smiles at you, shakes your hand, and gives you a large, bright blue folder that says race kit on the cover. Well, you that's feel... a different era. It's a different oh. era, isn't it? He shook my hand. Wouldn't be doing that now, would you? He I'd stands like... two metres away. <laughs> yeah, he stands two metres away. You feel nervous, well you would, he shook around. The other drivers look much older, and they seem very sure of themselves. This rally is special, he says. There are two races. One tests speed over the fast roads in pre-prepared cars, and the other race is a rough road race. Speed counts too, but you will be driving off-road vehicles. In each race, you will be choosing your own course, driving from checkpoint to checkpoint until you finish. You will not be racing head-to-head -head with other cars in either race. Instead, you will select cars and be started in half-hour intervals to avoid head-to-head -head racing. He says loads. <laughs> the courses are too narrow and sometimes too crowded with animals and people for that matter do you understand do you understand oxy uh, yes there's two races <laughs> that's not a choice i'm just asking because <laughs> no. yeah. i'm a bit confused so yes thanks i understand you tell him you will be paired with a navigator and co-driver but that will come in a moment now you must choose which race you would like to start with you will take part in both of them but you may decide now which one you want to do first so, Oxy, here's your first okay. choice. You're going to be doing the speed race, or are you going to do the off-road rougher race? I think I want to do the speed one first. Mm. Get, get that out of the way, and let's go. For, yeah, I think we'll do the speed one first. Speed one first. You're going to go high <coughs> yeah, on chain. Nice. Would your dad approve? You don't care at this point, do you? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't. I'm not bothered about my dad. He's on business. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. The speed race is a different event. There isn't a track that you roar around lap after lap. You will start in Nairobi and travel through Kenya. You'll drive along fairly good roads through game preserves, along flat surfaces in the highlands and through hilly stretches. Finally, you'll end up back in Nairobi. You will be out on the roads at least one night during the race and possibly two nights, depending on what happens. You eye some of your competitors. 
the German team is dressed all in dark blue overalls and their names in gold. They look mm. very serious. The team from Zaire is dressed in tanned jumpsuits. Though they are smiling, they look every bit as serious as the Germans. Now you are confronted with a choice of two cars for this half of the rally. You can choose between a race-prepared Subaru or a race-prepared Audi TT. Uh, it's the Subaru Japanese car, isn't Subaru, it? Subaru, yeah, Subaru, isn't that a Japanese car? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get, I've always been, you know, Japanese make good cars. Mm. You know, they're hard to fix, quite expensive to fix, but they do make good cars. And the thing is, with this car, I'm not going to be, like, taking it for an MOT or anything, so Boy. I'm going to go for the Subaru. That would be mm. a terrible choice when it later on is, <laughs> which company's doing your MOT? It's awful <laughs> as an eight-year-old <laughs> deciding that. Yeah. Well, I, I know when I watch Police Interceptors uh, mm. on Dave or whatever channel it's on, um, they one of the Essex police units has a Subaru, and that's like their main fast car. Yeah, so I yeah. think it's a fast car. <coughs> We're going for the Subaru. We're going for the Subaru. You've chosen the Subaru, a very roadworthy car. As a free agent, you've also chosen to stick with the name of your navigator, co-driver on it. You've chosen a yellow stick with the name Zokil on it. He must be Russian, you think. You are partly right, Zokil is Russian, but it turns out to be a she. Oh, romance. Do you think? You and Zokil. Zokil, the lady yeah, co-driver. The thing is, I think as an eight-year-old boy, I'll be like, oh, girl in my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i tell you what, though, you please, your dad's not here now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Zokil smiles at you, shakes hands and says, ah, oh, she's female, isn't she? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, and she's <laughs> Russian. Oh, no. Yeah, go on, do it, do it. She, that's going to sound like Borat. I know she is. I am pleased to meet you. <laughs> I saw your name in the race reports. We will do well together. I am sure of that. Mm, okay. No, that's not bad, actually. Come not on. Bad, you, okay. I'll give you credit for that. That's quite good. You and Zokil examine the Subaru carefully. You give particular attention to the tyre treads, which have a special pattern to accommodate the sometimes sandy and muddy roads and the rocky tracks you might have to drive on. They look good to me. How about you? I, I think they're fine, Zokil. They're like the ones back at home in Arizona. She suggests you study the map of the course to see how you will run the race. You know, I've been thinking that Aldi could be a little faster. We might have to go all out to catch up in this. You nod. Perhaps we could go all out, although we could run into mechanical difficulties. Well, let's decide, you say. Shall we start out conservatively and count on finishing, or shall we go flat out? Now, here's your choices, Oxy. Okay. Are you going to be conservative? Are you a conservative driver? Or are you just going to go full on? So, if we go conservative, it's like we're just pacing ourselves. We're just thinking about completing the race rather yeah. than winning the race. Mm. Oh, I feel like winning. So, I'm just going to go flat out, I think. Are you a competitive person? You, you... Not really, but I am in this book. <laughs> you are, the eight-year-old win. I want to win in this. So, we're going to go flat out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's go flat out. Let's do it. Let's push it right to the limit. This car can take it. 
you and Zophil get the flag from the race committee starters. You slide through the gears until you are running into fourth along a fairly flat stretch at high speed, the very fastest you can go. The car is well-tuned and responds quickly to your driving skills. The hours melt away and the blazing sun dips in the western sky. Fuel is getting low. <laughs> Maybe Fuel is getting low. Fuel is getting it's bad, it's good, very nice. The fuel is getting low. Maybe it would be good to refuel. You nod, and Zokil slows the Subaru down, looking for a good spot to pull off the road. Over there, Zokil says, there is a tree to park under. We need to rest too. I see it, you answer. Soon the car comes to a halt beneath a grove of trees near the road. You get out, stretch your legs to relieve muscle cramps. I thought I was going to say to relieve yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought as well. (laughs) (laughs) The extra gas tanks are stored in a rack where the back seat used to be. That's a long way to uh, get petrol, isn't it? A rack. First part of the podcast. You. <laughs> you hand two of the large cans to Zokil. High speed eats the fuel really fast. Maybe we'll have to slow down a bit. Zokil is busy pouring the fuel into the tank. Meanwhile, you open the hood to check the oil. Zokil is lifting the jerry can when it slips and hits the ground, spilling gas and spraying it high. Some of the gas hits the exhaust pipe. Immediately, it ignites. Zokil screams. You throw yourself on top of her. Oxy. Oh, I know. Be a (laughs) You've thrown yourself on top of Zokil. Oh, Oh, no. You knock her to the ground, smothering the furious flames that have started to burn her jumpsuit. Fortunately, her jumpsuit is flame retardant, or it would have probably been a complete blaze. Zokil, are you okay? That gas went up so quickly. I'm okay. The thing is, what gets me, why am I telling her this when she's just she's been engulfed in flames? You were really engulfed in flames then, like like she didn't know. What? Really? Well, I, yes, I didn't realise. I thought I was yeah. just hot. Yeah, I'm okay, but my hands and arms are really burnt. Look, you examine the reddened, puffy skin where the burning gas has left its mark. You get out the first aid kit and spread cream on the affected area. This is getting very... Yeah, yeah. First... Hot, jump on her. Roll around. Hotness. Rub cream on her arms. Cream. I don't know what the, the decision is coming I, I, up. I am eight. Remember, I am eight. I, I'm fine. Yeah, let's, let's move on. Okay. Should you complete the race, you just aren't sure. The burns look pretty bad. The skin is intact. The flames didn't penetrate the layers of the skin. But you think the burn... What, penetrate? Yeah. yeah. Penetrate and yeah. poo-poo so far. Yeah. <laughs> just show it around the class. You think the burns might get blistered and infected. Also, Zokil is weakened and she could go into shock. What should you do? Pee on her arms. Pee Pee on her arms. Yeah, that's what you do. Here's the choice. Jellyfish, isn't it? Sorry. Pee on her arms. Here's the choices. Now, you could take Zokil back to uh, a village you passed to get treated. Or you could decide to continue the race, believing that she will be okay. I think it'd be really good to go to that village, because we might meet some people along the way. So you, so I mean, I don't know if this village in the middle of the desert is going to be very high tech. Is it going to have the mm. medical equipment? Well, I just want to hear the accents, to be honest. Ah, oh. 
I see. I want to hear your African accents because oh, they're not going to be. All right. Well, we're going to meet people, are we? That's yeah. what you're hoping. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. I'm sorry, Zokil. The race is over for us. You've got to get some medical help. We're heading back. Zokil leans back in her seat. Shadows of pain darken her face. You drive as fast and carefully as possible, trying not to jar her. The drive seems to take twice as long as you remember. Finally, you arrive at the small village. The village is spread out around one main hut where the head man or chief lives. Hopefully, we never meet him. <laughs> A jeep with a bright blue seal of the United Nations is parked beside one of the huts. To your great delight, you realise that the UN Agricultural and Medical Support Team are already here. Hey, we need help. Hello, anyone here? We need your help. From the headman's hut, step three people dressed in dark blue dungarees. One of them has a short white beard. I think he's from the UN. Okay. Yeah, okay. I am Dr. Rudolph. What's the problem here? Sounds a bit like your dad. It's my friend, Zokil. She's burnt. While the doctor dresses her burns, you introduce yourself to two other UN officials. One is a woman from Israel who specializes in new methods of crop fertilization. Random. The other is a Swede. He seems very interested in your car. Oh, no. oh I can't wait for these accents. Okay, let me think. Um, okay. My name is Sven. You are a driver in the African Road Rally. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's like the Swedish chef. Yeah. It, it sounds it doesn't like... sound like PewDiePie. <laughs> well, yes, I guess so. I am. Looks like we're going to have to sit this one out. I'm not sure I can go on with the rally without Zokil. Sven thinks for a moment. Then he says, back in Gutenberg, I was a semi-professional racing driver. Weekend races, that type of thing. I could go with you. Why not? I will take your navigator's place. Now, here are wow. your choices. You know what your choices How are. How convenient. How convenient. How convenient. Yeah, that you've suddenly met this UN official that used to be a racing driver. Yeah. But, Oxy, do you take Sven up on his offer and just go? Or... You could decide to go on without him and do it on your own. I think that I'm going to go with Sven. <laughs> I think i go with Sven. Yeah. Because Sven could be a good laugh. <laughs> huh? Unless he... Uh, can you mind, oh, please don't let him get into another accent. I don't want him to be in an accident. Well... But yeah, let's go with Sven. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, it was meant to be. It's destiny because of all the people that I've met, mm. I bumped into Sven. Mm. And his Israeli friend, woman, do it as crop fertilization. I, uh, she does. She say anything? She doesn't say anything. I love the fact okay. that R. A. Montgomery wanted to go into detail about what she did, and then he's like, "But she means nothing to you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to take the Swedish chef up on his offer. Okay, okay, Sven, let's do it. You handle the navigation. I'll handle the driving. Good, my new friend. Uh, where's he from? <laughs> Good, my new friend. This is an effective way to handle the race. Sven smiles broadly at you and indicates with a red felt-tip marker the route he has chosen. He has been in East Africa doing agricultural forecasting and planning for more than two years and he knows the area well. The route he proposes is completely different from the one you chose, but you trust him. 
twice you think you might be lost. Small roads seem to turn into dusty roads and your car can hardly pass through. Then you plunge out of a group of rolling hills on the plains where the fast road cuts through the flats. You push the accelerator to the floor, watching carefully. Then are cattle along the road, even some zebras. You dash on as fast as possible and at exactly 3.21 East African time, you take the chequered flag in Nairobi. You have finished the race third overall. Ray. Yeah! Zokil meets you at the finish line. Her arms are bandaged and in slings, but otherwise, she is fine. Oh. And that's the end of your first race. Wow, I'm glad I took Sven up on that uh, thing. Shame about Zokil, you know. I know, with her arms bandaged. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a bit of a romance going on, but it just ended up her being burnt. Well, I mean, who says there is But not isn't? to death, which is good. <laughs> She's not burnt to death, no. She's yeah. not burnt to death. But who who says there isn't romance? Once her arms are better, you might be full into the uh, into her arms. Well, that was race one. How do you feel? Are you um, are you ready for I race feel, two? Uh, even though I came third, I still I'm happy that I completed that race. I don't think I could have just gone on without uh, help and Zokil, you mm. know, because that would have been bad. Mm. I, I think these books are like good life lessons. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what, what I wonder what an eight year old mm. would think of it. You know, oh, I should have just left her. <laughs> I, I, I think eight year old me would probably do the same thing as I did there mm. because I'd feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I might have won the race, but I wouldn't have won her heart. Oh, yeah. What a lovely way to finish yeah, that yeah. race. Well, you chose to do the fast race first, and now mm. you have to do the off-road race, um, which is where we are in this book. Page 70 is where the off-road race starts. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. I don't know if we're still with uh, your same co-pilot. Let's see. While you're waiting in line at the race committee table to go over the paperwork for the road race, you notice the sign over the official's head. Be careful. Watch out for animals, bad roads, snakes, and fatigue. That's a big head. I know. <laughs> Written on his forehead. Love it. This race will test your skill, your stamina, your nerves. Although it isn't anywhere as near as fast as the speed race, it is still full of hazards. Michael, the race organiser, motions you over to the table. It's time for you to choose now, wobbly be. You can drive the British Land Rover or the Japanese Nissan pickup. Wobbly be. Wobbly be. Okay, so. It sounded like you said wobbly be. Wobbly be. The stable wasp. Um, here's your, so here's your first choice straight away, Oxy. You've got a choice to yes. make. You can drive the British Land Rover or the Japanese Nissan pickup. As uh, an American. I'd like to go for the uh, British. Really? British. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for. I've done the Japanese car, so I think we're going to go with the. Uh, what was it? The British the, Land Rover. Yeah, Land Rover. Yeah, let's go Land Rover. You know. Um, and and like you said, the Subaru in the last race um, set fire to your co-pilot, yeah. so that wasn't yeah. good. So okay. You choose the British Land Rover. As you walk over to the garage, you glance at your watch. Only three hours till we're scheduled to start. The paperwork with the officials took longer than you expected. You're hoping to get the navigator that will work well with you. There are a lot of details to iron out before you start and not much time to do so. All you know about your navigator is the name on the stick you selected. It is Eduardo. 
No, you've got a new navigator for this race. Well, Eduardo sounds like a lovely gentleman. Um, at the garage, which is a long steel hut, a mechanic in greasy overalls points out your car. Your rover, a red one with a white top, is jacked up into the air. One mechanic is busy with the grease gun under the car. Another, waving a large wrench around in the air. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what mechanics do. Yeah. Is he waving a wrench? I don't know. He's, he's probably like one of them uh, T-Birds. Is it the, not the T-Birds? Is it the T-Birds from Greece? Oh, yeah, it is. What yeah. are they called? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the T-Birds. He's, he's probably going on singing and going on about how it, this car's systematic or something. <laughs> wow. I can't believe he's waving his wrench around. This is terrible mm. behaviour. Anyway, he's having an involved conversation with someone wearing a driver's suit. His back is to you. This must be your co-driver. It sure looks like the Eduardo that you know from back at home, but how could it be? He would have let you know if he was going here. The mechanic with the wrench smiles and waves. The driver talking to him turns around. It is your friend, Eduardo. With, with the shape of a wrench on his head. <laughs> <laughs> a big bruise. Big bruise of a oh, wrench. Oh, I'm glad, uh, glad it's Eduardo. Of all the people it could have been. I know, and you, you know Eduardo. You and but Eduardo. the thing is, it's yes. like, shouldn't I have gone, when he said Eduardo earlier, mm. you know, the name of the driver is Eduardo. Why didn't I go, did I, did I, meant, did I say in my head, oh, I know an Eduardo. Yes. I didn't, did I? You did didn't. I? You didn't on paper. I no. didn't. No, I didn't on paper. I would have gone, oh, oh, I wonder if it's Eduardo. I wouldn't just go, Eduardo. It's like, uh, when you, do you know like when you watch Star Wars, mm. the, the A New Hope, and they're trying to pick the droids, mm. and uh, Uncle Ben's, is it Uncle Ben? He's, does he make rice? No. <laughs> Uncle Owen, Uncle Owen. <laughs> Uncle Ben. Yeah. yeah, Uncle Owen is choosing these two droids. And he goes, oh, I'll have that one and that one. And he doesn't go, oh, your dad had one of these when he was a kid. You know what I mean? Yes. Whereas if it was like, if it was a car, you go, oh, I used to have a Ford back yeah. when, I, when I was a kid. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Eduardo, I'm glad it's him. Well, the, and the next, the next line, you know him really well. You and Eduardo have driven together before and work well as a team. In addition, Eduardo has had loads of experience on rough roads driving Jeep tours in the Colorado Rockies. You and Eduardo hug each other heartedly. Where's Eduardo from? Because he's got to be from America. But... Is he from America? What part of America? Yeah, exactly. You choose and I'll go for it. Uh, Texas. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, this is it. This is you talking. What are you doing here? You ask him. Why didn't you let me know? I just got here this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Well, that's what Eduardo sounds like. I didn't know I'd be here myself. His voice becomes quieter. I'm substituting for somebody who was killed in one of these races. Oh, dear. Then, I know. Then his face brightens. But enough of that. <laughs> We never dismissed it. He just dismissed it, did he? He yeah. just went, oh, did he just say enough of that? Enough of that thing about oh death. Oh, my God. Eduardo. That's why I love you. You're so flipping dark for your humour. Eduardo. So Eduardo. someone has been killed in one of these races, and he's substituting. But but enough of that. We'll save it for the rest of the explanations for later. We've got lots of work to do. How's the car? You ask Eduardo. It's in good shape. Hank and Bill are almost done. There's still blood in there, there buddy. <laughs> it's like that scene from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, okay. All the mechanical systems check out. Hank is finishing the chasse grease job, and Bill and I are having a little argument about what weight motor oil to use. You listen to the argument for a few minutes. You decide Bill is right and tell him to get on with it. Then you and Eduardo sit down with the maps and discuss routes, strategies, and what supplies and spare equipment to take. Before you know it, the starter has dropped his flag and you and Eduardo are off. You have decided to take a paved route out of Nairobi for eight miles or so and then head off into the wilds. Before you don't get any more than four miles out of the city, you hit a spot of trouble ahead. A wooden barricade lies across the road and soldiers are standing there. You stop near the barricade and consult with the colonel there. He tells you in a stiff British accent that the route you want to take is blocked by thousands of drought refugees from the south. Let's hope we don't meet them. He says you <laughs> might be able to continue that way that you've planned, but an alternative route might be better. Now, here's your choice. Okay. Oxy, you could decide to take your original route and meet these refugees, possibly, and they might be on the road. Or take the Colonel's advice and go on a different route that he knows. The Colonel? I think he would have, you know, studied the area, you know, what with him being army and that. I think I'm going to go with what the Colonel said. So the Colonel says he knows a route, a better route, and who knows if these refugees, it might have been a sad sight as well, you know, you don't want any yeah. of that upsetting. And the thing things. is, it's like, you know, they could like want to eat us or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That would be yeah. good, isn't it? A book for eight to ten year olds. Yeah. yeah. You are attacked. We did say there was there's some horrible deaths in that, in these I mean, books. That would be pretty dark though, wouldn't it? Being eaten by a group of people. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take the Colonel's choice. Okay. The Colonel's argument for taking another route is very persuasive. After some consultation with him over the map, you turn the Land Rover round and head back a short way down the road, looking for a dirt track the Colonel describes to you. In the rearview mirror, you can see the Colonel waving goodbye. Oh, that's nice. I know. No more than half a mile back the colonel has said turn left at a tree the track is not well marked but you should be able to find it not bad nice i'm impressed thank you the tree the tree appears right on schedule the road seems to be nothing more than two barely worn tracks in the grass but the colonel said it was quite plausible and said it led directly to a river crossing where you're heading for the road is even better than the colonel promised before you know it you are at the river crossing in the middle of the river, you see a ferry crossing to the other side. It will be close to half an hour before you get to cross. What makes it worse, though, is that the passenger on the ferry, which holds only one car, is a BMW oh. driven by the team from Libya. The BMW started just before you did, and they weren't that far ahead. And it's still infuriating to see them ahead of you in the competition. Oh. I know. Eduardo correctly points out that if you've come upon the BMW, you're ahead in the race and can afford to wait for the ferry. On the other hand, if you head down the riverbank, then strike off the next crossing, you may gain even more time. Now, I'll be, I'll be honest here, Oxy, I'm a bit confused, but here's your choices. You okay. could decide to head towards the next crossing, or you could decide to wait for this ferry. No, I'm going to go for the uh, the other crossing. Because the thing is, if I can get there just a little bit behind the Libyans. Yeah. 
because yes. I know what they're like. I know. I remember they shot Doc Brown, didn't they? They did, going back to Bats of Future. Yeah, they, the Libyans did shoot Doc Brown. All right, we're going down the riverbank. Sitting around waiting for the ferry is no fun, you decide. And you tell Eduardo you'd make up more time if you kept moving. You take off down the riverbank, following the river for about a mile and a half to where it makes a great bend. Then you head off across the country to meet the river where it loops back. By keeping an eye on the dashboard compass, you keep going in the right direction. Finally, you cross one more stream and you're on an immense plain. The map shows this to be the last bit before the river crossing. At Eduardo's suggestion, you've put off greasing the car after each stream crossing until now, the last crossing for a while. So while Eduardo is crawling under the car to put grease on with the grease gun, you climb onto the roof to look around. Off into the distance in the north, you can see a herd of giraffes. They don't seem to be startled by you. Once Eduardo is done, you take off immediately. You're impatient to continue. Soon, you enter some high grass. The faster you go, the higher the grass gets until you can barely see to slow down. Suddenly, you spot a rhinoceros in the bush, not more than a hundred yards away. It doesn't see you yet. You know a rhino will chase the car, even without being provoked. It's three tons. If you stop the car, maybe it won't see you. But if you keep going, it might see you. Now, Oxy, you could keep driving and figure out that the rhino won't charge. Or you could decide that the rhino has the right of way and allow him to pass. I reckon I'm going to keep driving. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. If, if, if anything bad happens, it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. You know. That's very... Uh, no, very... but I, I, the thing is, I think it's quite presumptuous to think that the Rhino will charge us. It might. What colour is our car? Uh, your car's red with <gasps> a white roof. Oh, that's another thing, isn't it? Uh, you're thinking of bulls, though, aren't you? Oh, yeah, 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 I am. I am. <laughs> I am. Okay, let's go. Let's 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 go. Cause we're fast, didn't we? We're fast. All right, you're going to decide to keep on driving and figure out that the rhino won't charge. I can outdrive any rhino ever born. You promise, Eduardo, and you shift into first and step on the gas. The rhino looks up and, with a loud noise of the engine, he is enraged and he charges at the car. Faster, Eduardo cries. It's gaining on us. You speed up and the rhino drops back a little. Then, without warning, a hole appears right in front of you. There's no time to swerve. You drive right into it. The front wheels of your Land Rover bottom out and you pitch over. It's too bad that you never re-fasten your seatbelts after the grease job. You are both flung out of the car. The rhino flattens you both into a pulp. That... <laughs> Oh my god, this is horrific! The rhino flattens you both into a pulp that not even the vultures are interested in. The ants, however, have a field day. The end. Oh my goodness. That's like faces of death. I, th I warned you that these deaths can be horrific. That's oh, that was, so far. But that was brilliant. I'm glad, you know, went out in style. We gave it a go. Thing is, I think that is even better than winning the race. What being eaten just for by that, ants? Just, no, just for that imagery. So, uh, and it's gross, really, because not only did the rhino kill you, he then mushed you into a pulse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, he was proper angry. Really I mean, angry. 
Yeah, yeah. proper angry rhino. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel the second race went? Well, I was pretty disappointed with the uh, taking the colonel's advice now. I wish, mm. I think I would have gone another route now. But hindsight's twenty twenty as they say. Yeah. But, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, well, well, my death and Eduardo's death is on the Colonel's. He Head. ain't going to give a shit, is he? He's not... I don't think the Colonel would care. He's very British. No, he's no, stiff no. up I, he, And also, he's, he's uh, lost many a good man <laughs> in, in his career in the army. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pair of uh, racers. You know, Boy racers. Bother him. Many they a good man. listen to me, shouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Many a good soldier has been pulped to death by a rhino. I bet some kids would have nightmares about that, wouldn't they? Thank you, Oxy, for joining me. That was uh, one of the longest books we've had because you have to do the two races. But I really enjoyed it. And uh, did you enjoy being the Voyager? No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the accents. (laughs) Uh, I I enjoyed your uh, reading. It was very good. And, uh, yeah, it was was very nostalgic. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to hunt one of those, that, uh, that book that I got when I was a kid down. You should. And when you do, let's get you back on and we can read this book from your childhood. But yeah, we'll get you on and you can do that. It was The Horror of the High Ridge. That was it. The Horror of High Ridge. Oxy, if people want to find out more about you as a creative, because you do lots of things, you've got lots of different hats, where should they go and uh, what should they look out for? If they search The Art of Oxy, Mm. uh, The Art of OKSE, The Art of Oxy, uh, you'll find my website. You'll also find my Instagram. I've started doing TikTok. What, uh, really? Doing TikToks. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing TikToks. Wow. Uh, it's quite fun. But yeah, so uh, I'm on that, Oxycomedian. Okay. So if they look to search Oxycomedian and also The Art of Oxy, they'll find stuff on there. But I just want to say thank you very much for uh, having me on. It's been uh, very good fun. It's been really nice reminiscing about the 80s. And, mm. uh, and yeah, thank you so much for getting involved. So I suppose the last thing to bring us out of this uh, episode seven is I would like to know when you and Zokil, your uh, companion in the races, hmm. the burnt arms, what's going to be your first dance at your wedding? Um, I didn't start the fire by, uh, <laughs> by Billy Joel. Ideal. Voyage of the Page Turner featured the books of author R.A. Montgomery, hosted by Colin Lego. Featuring special guest, Chris Oxenbury. Voiceover by Samuel Thomas. Produced by Colin Lego. Special thanks to Ant McGinley. Remember, you could find us on Instagram and Twitter at Page Turner Show. Find us, message us, like us. Until we meet next time, remember, choose wisely.